My guest this week is a lot like that new item you have in your home. Friends come over, they admire it, you talk about it, and they ask, where did you get it? And like that new item in your home, I got this week's guest from Amazon. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 104 of the Resilient Journey podcast, presented by the Resilience Think Tank. I'm your host, Mark Hoffman, and this week I'm joined by Brady Hendricks, Global Lead of Crisis Management for Amazon. Brady and I talk about the importance of relationship building, particularly in crisis management. We talk about building trust, the value of diversity, and how you can measure the level of trust that you have with your stakeholders. We also discuss the soft skills needed to build relationships across a wide range of stakeholders. And Brady shares how he uses historical data to predict future incidents. Brady, welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you here. Let's start off with a brief introduction, if you don't mind. Well, yeah, thanks for having me, Mark. My name is Brady Hendricks. I'm currently the global lead of crisis management at Amazon. I've been with Amazon for a little over six years working in their corporate security division. That's where the crisis management program sits. Uh, prior to that, I did uh, about five or six years in the oil and gas industry based out of Houston, Texas and Ville Platte, Louisiana, if anybody knows where Ville Platte is, uh, doing mostly Lean Six Sigma statistical analysis type work. And then prior to that, I did about six years in the United States Marine Corps. I am an infantry officer. Oh, well, thank you for your service. I didn't know that about you. Um, and uh, it's it's great that uh, that you reached out. You, you did something that I, I want to call out because I want to invite other people to do this. Um, you saw yourself as someone who had something to say as a, as a potentially good guest for the podcast. And you worked through some connections and said, hey, I'd like to come on. And I really, really like that because if you think about what we do on the podcast, we do approximately 50 of these a, a year. Um, and I didn't know I knew 104 people, but here we are, we're on episode 104. Uh, and so it's great for people who, uh, have something to say, uh, to reach out because we want to give people a voice. So thank you so much for doing that. Yeah, absolutely. I, I heard the episode, um, a, a few, few back where Lisa was talking about, uh, us as crisis professionals, emergency management professionals need to be more willing to get out and speak whether that's podcast or going to conference. And I said, ah, Lisa's right. So let me reach out. All right. Hey, look, we're going to talk about relationship building today. And we're going to talk about it in context of crisis management. Relationship building is generally important anyhow at work, but talk about relationship building within the crisis management uh, realm and why that's even more important. Yeah. So I, I guess I can start by talking about within the context of my program and, and the team that I manage. So uh, we're a global program, which means that I've got crisis managers across the entire globe. Um, and these folks have got to be able to operate independently, uh, tending to the local nuances of, of their regional customers. But they also have to ensure that they're maintaining global consistency, making sure that we're, we're providing a service and a product that's consistent across the globe. Um, and and so that's not always easy to do. Um, I have found that the, the best way to make sure that that is actually happening, that we're, we're maintaining those two dichotomies there, is that uh, I have clear lines of, of communication with, with my crisis managers. Um, and this helps me to achieve a very familial environment. I, I maybe perhaps over-indexed on creating that family feel, that family environment. Mm -hmm. But I feel like if you've got that created, you've, you've really built trust within, within the team. 
Um, and so, you know, this helps them to uh, reach out to me when they've got problems or they want to make a process change uh, in their region uh, to make sure that it's not going to be something that runs counter to what we do globally, uh, making sure that we're consistent, uh, and then vice versa. It allows me to implement uh, big picture process changes that aren't going to mess them up within the region. Uh, part of having that familial environment means that when we come together as a group to discuss a process change or an obstacle that one region might be might be facing is that uh, our conversations are, uh, to an outsider, they, they may sound a, a bit aggressive, uh, but it, it's it's like a family, right? So this morning, mm-hmm. my my nine year old son and, and seven year old daughter were banging heads and, and arguing, but it's family, right? They were they were working towards a resolution. Resolution, uh, I hope that's what they were doing this morning, and it's the same kind of feel in in, in our meetings where we're we're being very candid, very honest about what these changes might mean for for different regions, what obstacles or what solutions might exist for different obstacles um, that, that that the regions are experiencing. And being able to be that candid with one another helps to build trust with 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 everybody within the program, so that they can communicate very clearly when bigger, more important things are happening. Um, a great example is um, a few months back, we had a an individual on the team, crisis manager that had just joined us, had been with us for a couple months, and this was her her first or second time being a part of one of our group discussions about a potential process change. And I proposed a white paper, put up a white paper proposing a, a specific change. And she called out a line in the in the paper and and challenged me on it in front of the group, which is totally fine. I, I do that to everybody, obviously, as, as the global lead, but um, I expect them to do that as well to me. Uh, but she was new to that. She had, she had not, you know, she's still filling out the environment. She didn't know the team. She was still learning me, trying to figure out what was appropriate. And so I gave my explanation as to why I'd left that line in in the white paper for this process change. And she paused and gave a very tepid, okay. And, and, and that was the indicator for me to, to stop. I stopped the meeting. I said, listen, if you disagree with this, you've got to call me out. If this is a bad process or if this is a bad change, you've got to say it here in front of the, the group. Because this is not a change that's that we're trying to implement to make Brady look good. This is a change we're trying to implement to make the, the, the program look good, make us more successful, allow us to provide a better service or product to our customers. And so if, if we don't have that trust internally, we're gonna we're gonna sacrifice on that end, and I guess to tie off this piece, this this is really this is really helped out in our in our efforts to build a diverse team. So if I really want that familial environment, if I really want people to be okay challenging me and, and, and challenging each other, that means you've got to have uh, diversity of background and diversity of thought. If everybody is of the same mind and of the same background, nobody's gonna challenge anybody, and you're gonna get group thinking. You're gonna deliver a poor product. That won't serve our customers. Well, yeah, because your customer base is certainly diverse, and you talked about having a, a, a global team, which means not only is it uh, different from uh, from a location standpoint, but the various cultures that uh, are in play here that also has to be considered as well. And you used a, a term there; you said trust. And if you don't have trust, on the blue sky day, then you're going to go into uh, a crisis mode um, and you're going to be at a disadvantage right off the bat. That's right. Yeah. One of the things that strikes me about the crisis management world when it comes to relationship building is it's not just internal. It's not just that team, uh, even if the team is big and it's global and so forth, but we also interact with so many different stakeholders, don't we? Uh, It could be 
first responders, or it could be members of the crisis team or uh, members of legal or IT or, you know, any other stakeholder. Talk about relationship building outside of your team. Sure. So when you get to agencies that are external to Amazon, then it, it's fairly easy um, if you're talking with law enforcement or a uh, Office of Emergency Management uh, groups that are very government oriented. Uh, you understand kind of that, that their scope is going to be much broader than just your your company or your 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 agency. Um, and that they're going to have certain limitations. There's going to be certain information that they don't care about and that, that they do care about. Um, as you get into those internal groups that are outside of our program, that's where it becomes a little bit dice here because they're part of our cultures. So they understand what we want as a company, what we do as a company. Um, but they don't necessarily understand what you do as a crisis manager or what your requirements are. So, you know, one of the enduring problems that we have is that we don't have decision-making authority as part of our crisis management team, our CMT activations. Um, for, for any one of our CMTs, there's 21 different stakeholder groups that will have to come together and work to work together to, to resolve that particular problem, uh, that particular crisis. Um, and I always, always tell my crisis managers is that if, you, if you've not taken the time to build those relationships and earn trust, as you said, Mark, in those blue sky times, yeah. um, then you're going to run into one of two realities when a crisis actually does happen. And neither one of those things are good. Um, the first is they won't show up to your activation at all. And that's obviously not great. You, now, now you don't have the decision makers that you need at the table to be able to make the right decisions. Th the second thing, and I think it's probably... The, the worst of the two is that they do show up to your activation, but they are going to actively work against you. Um, and, and now you're, you're fighting the team while you're trying to fight the, the problem or the crisis that's in front of you. So it's always super important to make sure that you're spending time with those internal stakeholders in those blue sky moments and earning their trust. And, and I've got an example here, if, if that's okay. Of yeah, kind yeah. Of I was going to ask you that. for one. Yeah, so I won't get into the specifics on this because of uh, confidentiality reasons here, but um, I, I think everybody remembers earlier this year, I believe it was in February, there was that awful earthquake in Turkey uh, where we, we obviously have a, have a presence there uh, in, in that country. And uh, very quickly, the, the leader for that country, for, for Amazon, came to us uh, requesting, requesting that we support employees in the area that were gonna, that was going to challenge the normal boundaries for duty of care. We, we were getting ready to go into some, some blurry territory there. Um, now, fortunately, we were able to, to facilitate that request um, and, and take care of our people. And it, it turned out great. It was a great success story internally. Very happy with that. Uh, but afterwards, I was talking with my crisis managers and I said, you know, why, why was that country leader comfortable coming to us with such a, mm -hmm. such a blurry, with such a tough, a tough uh, problem set in front of him? Why, why was he comfortable doing that? And of course, I've trained them at this point. They said, oh, we earned his trust. That's, that's what it was. I said, well, great. Go deeper there. Tell me what we did to actually earn his trust. And there was two things that, that we had done. So not two weeks prior to that earthquake, we had just done a tabletop exercise mm -hmm. with the Turkey CMT. Now, it wasn't for an earthquake event. It was for something completely different. It was um, in preparation for the upcoming presidential elections in, in Turkey. Um, but 
what what we did get out of that exercise, what what the what helped us to earn trust was that they saw our framework. They understood what it was going to look like when a CMT activated, and we had spent time explaining to them what are the expectations that are going to be put on you as a participant in one of our crisis management teams. So they knew what it was going to look like. They knew what their responsibilities were going to be. And I looked at my crisis managers and I said, "You you removed fear from the equation, right? Yeah, when when yeah. people come together for one of these events, that's that's the motivating emotion right there." Um, they're dealing with a, a intense, high-pressure event that they don't have a plan for. You don't, you don't call us in for something that you got a plan for. You call us in for things that catch you out of, out of the blue. And you took that out of the equation. Now, they didn't have solutions to the earthquake problem, but they understood that we were going to bring, bring the framework and the right questions that needed to be answered in order to find those solutions. And the other thing that we did was that, just in general, we had built a strong relationship with that country leader. One of the informal metrics that we use to measure whether or not you have built trust with a stakeholder is uh, how often do you receive requests for stuff that's not crisis related? So mm-hmm. I mentioned that we're part of the larger security group. Well, it's not uncommon for us to get requests from some of the people that we worked for in the past, worked with in the past, for things like, hey, I couldn't get through the turnstile at the front gate this morning, or my badge stopped working, or hey, I'm traveling to this part of the world. Is there, you know, can somebody help me out with the travel? You know, that's all stuff that we do as a security group, but it's not part of crisis management. And so that's a great informal metric of whether or not you've built that strong relationship. Then, of course, you, you have to point the people in the right direction. Uh, the second really great informal metric is how is training initiated for a specific region? Does it look like you getting out your clipboard and going up to that stakeholder and saying, all right, Turkey crisis management team, it's it's been a year. It's time mm-hmm. for that annual annual refresher, what date works for you, we want to pull this team together, what scenario do you want, right? Does, does it look like that? Or is it is it somebody from that leadership team in that country reaching out to you and saying, hey, Brady, I know you guys were here two months ago, but we've, we've got some new folks on the team, or we've just absorbed this new program. Uh, we think it's really important that they get get to hear about your program and how you're going to activate and what it looks like and all that kind of stuff, right? Those, those are two very different types, types of engagement for training. And so if you're, if you're seeing, if you're seeing those, um, those are really great informal indicators, informal metrics of whether or not you're building trust uh, with those external internal stakeholders. I really like what you said there. You know, the resilience think tank was founded out of a bunch of requests that came to us from people who said during the pandemic, I don't think our organization sees any value in the business continuity or resilience program. And I would say to them, well, what do you mean? And they said, well, we haven't been involved in uh, response. Nobody's asked us our opinion for uh, remote work or returning to the office. Like we're on the sidelines here. We're not engaged. And that is the complete opposite of what you just described. And the relevance, the value comes from building those relationships. And that's huge. And I love what you said. The other thing that you said there, and I'm just way off script now because you you excited me so much, is you said you ran a crisis management tabletop exercise based on a presidential election. Now, what I want to call out there and give you props for is that you are looking at emerging threats and saying, we need to incorporate these things into our program, into our process, and into our principles. I love what you did there. 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's something that we're always doing, right? Event uh, horizon scanning, looking for events on on the horizon, and some things are easier easier to predict than others. Election cycles are are fairly well published, um, and 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 understanding what that that threat is going to look like in the region, and then and then training to that. I I struggle with what I call the Bogota example, and so um, in when I was running crisis management for just the Americas, uh, it took me a while to figure out that if rubber bullets and water cannons are being used for a protest in Bogota, that might just be a Tuesday afternoon. But if, if that's happening in Seattle or in New York City, that's an, that's an entirely different uh, proposition altogether. Um, and so understanding that in real time, but then also understanding, how, okay, now how do, you, how do you train to that? How do you make sure that the people that are going to be responding to that understand that difference themselves and understand when things are appropriate to escalate and share with with other parties and when is it not that's amazing now i, I want to dig a little bit deeper with some of these stakeholders that we were talking about because in addition to the relationship building there's a soft skill here that you and people on your team have to have and that is the ability to interact with people in different walks of life or different areas of responsibility and what i mean is in some cases, you need to build relationships with lawyers. In some cases, you need to build relationships with technology people. People in different walks of life act differently. And it's quite a skill, isn't it, to be able to build relationships regardless of the person you know that that, that you're working with. Yeah. And I think so much of, of that is having having people on your team, like I'm fortunate enough to have, uh, that have high judgment capabilities. And Judgment is a is a function function of experience and education and, ex, and experience is is the tough one to get there. Um, so those kind of people that we get around us. But uh, when you've got that kind of person, what they can do is they can assess when they're talking to somebody, whether it's from legal or finance or where, wherever else, um, how mature are they in their understanding of crisis management and what what they think that they are asking for. Um, you and I can sit here and we can get into the weeds about. Uh, policy and SOPs and proper and improper deployment of different types of technology and just really kind of geek out on that type of conversation. But, you know, for my my average HR person that's going to be um, pulled into one of my activations to be able to answer H- very HR specific questions, um, they don't live in that world all the time. And so it's not necessarily appropriate to get into those details and have that level of conversation with them when they come to us asking for crisis management support, or, hey, can you come train some of our executives, some of our leaders? And so really being able to understand what are are they asking for and how much do they really understand? And I'm going to be honest, the thing that helps me the most with that is is just listening. And and that's that's nothing groundbreaking, right? But when, um, when when you have somebody that's throwing a request out for more information or wanting to learn more about your program, or even if you've got a difficult a difficult relationship that you're trying, trying to maneuver, trying to get through with a, a particular stick, stakeholder. Sitting back, taking the time to just listen to that person and really let them get things off their chest, and and trying to understand where they're coming from can go a long way. Um, we we had a an internal customer reach out to us. I think it was last week, wanting support for a very large event that that Amazon puts on every year. And we thought we understood the initial request, thought they were asking for us to create kind of an expeditionary crisis management team that can stand up just to support this extremely large event that we do. I was like, great, that's fine. We can, we do this kind of stuff periodically. We can easily incorporate to what you guys have locally in terms of a security apparatus um, and and we'll support you. 
sat down with them in a follow-up meeting and just let them talk, just let them work through it and, and understood that the request was completely different from what they initially told us uh, that they wanted. And it was just a matter of letting them really kind of walk through it and, and, and think out loud about what, what they thought they needed. And then me understanding what it was that they were saying, understanding that, okay, hey, you, you think this is what you need. You think you need this type of support that you see me giving to, to our employees in Turkey, but you're, you're, you're actually asking for something entirely different. There's probably another team that can, that can provide this service for you in a better way. You, you reference there that sometimes relationships get a little shaky, get a little rocky. Sometimes, despite your best efforts, you, you kind of fail at some of that relationship building. What are some things you can do to help things get back on track? Yeah, that's that's life, right? Um, we we want to win hearts and minds with everybody, but sometimes it's more difficult than 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 others. And there's there's some where you may you may never fully get across that finish line. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think the foundation of it comes back to what I just said is is having the patience to listen to the individual. So many times when you're when you're having a disagreement with somebody, or it's a difficult relationship to manage. Just being able to sit back and just listen and just let them get it off their chest, mirror what they are saying back to them so that they feel like they are heard. That goes a long way to just kind of calming them down. And I don't want to put a percentage to it, but a healthy percentage of the time, they'll they'll just go away. They'll just, you know, the, the relationship will, will heal. And that's that's all that needed to happen. They just needed to voice what it was that was on their mind, get off their chest what they had. Um, you know, sometimes it's not that easy. And in those instances, I'll, I like to take whatever it is that they're saying, whatever demands, not demands, but you know, whatever, whatever ask they have of us and, and run it through an informal filter. So, you know, I'm wanting, I'm asking myself, you know, is, is what they're asking for, is there what, what they're asking us to do? Is it a two-way door type decision or is it a one-way door decision? Is this something that if I put, go ahead and, and do this for them, is it something that's going to be difficult for me to walk back if it ends up being a bad decision or, or the wrong decision, mm-hmm. or is it just kind of a one-off thing and it doesn't cost me anything? Is it low risk? So how many people am I, am I going to make mad by doing this or not doing this, whatever it is that, that they want? And then the last thing is, is this going to endanger our ability to maintain global consistency? Because we don't want to create a solution that's just specific for New York, that's just specific for London, that's just specific for Tokyo. It has to be something that I can be consistent with across across the board. Um, and I can't remember, I'm going to paraphrase this quote, I don't, and I don't remember who said it, but um, the, the, kind of the last thing that I'll do here is, uh, if I have somebody that I don't like, I'm not getting along with, it probably means that I don't understand them well enough. I don't know them well enough. Mm-hmm. And so taking that extra time to go spend spend time physically in their location, scheduling reoccurring one-on-ones with them, really trying to you know spend a day walking around with them, doing gimbal walks, understanding what it is that they face on a day-to-day basis increases your understanding. It shows to them that yeah, he really does care. He really is trying to do the right thing here. We're just, maybe we're conflicting on one or two different different things. Uh, so you have to expend a little bit of personal capital to, to maybe smooth those over. And then listen, kind of like I started this answer here, um, this is this is an unfortunate reality. And similar to that is that sometimes you're just not going to win some, everybody over. You're just not going to get along with everybody. That's going to be, you know, 1% of the time, hopefully. And in those instances, you just, you know, agree to disagree. You maintain your professional politeness and um, carry it on at that level. Now, sometimes when you get into a crisis situation, particularly if it is a prolonged crisis, 
Uh, and what I mean by that is, you know, maybe you've had a, a fire at a facility and yes, there was the immediate work that had to be done, but the long-term recovery work, maybe your team was, you know, involved in that. And it started to spread out over a long period of time. That raises the risk of tension between team members, doesn't it? Like, how do you manage through that? It does. And I'm fortunate that I've not, I've not experienced a lot of that. Um, yes, you know, you do get heightened emotions. Why is this, why is this taking so long? What are, what are the, what steps are we taking? Are they really necessary? Can we, can we do different things to expedite this process a little bit? I, you know, I think if you spend a lot of time coming back to the the blue sky scenario, right. In those, Mm -hmm. in those good times, building out your framework and then, and then testing that framework and sharing it with everybody so that they understand what this is going to look like and understanding what timelines might look like really goes a long way to help mitigate a lot of those, those potential, um, conflicts that you may have over an event that lasts for a, a long period of time. Um, one of the things that we, again, when I was running just the Americas, uh, hurricane season is obviously a, a big deal for us. Um, yep. And so we would pull historical data for hurricanes looking at, you know, really lots of little different details about everything from strength to storms to where do the strongest storms hit, what time of year, um, states that are most impacted by that, the ones that are least impacted by it. Um, a few other few other data points as well, um, but one of those was the duration of these, and not just the duration of the storm. So, how long was it actually a proper hurricane? But how long was it actually making? Was it impacting the state where it made landfall? And how long had we activated for these types of events in the past? And that became a part of our training cycle for hurricane events for our southeastern U.S. crisis management team. So it's not just a matter of getting them familiar with, here's the framework, here are your responsibilities within that framework for a hurricane. But by the way, these things on average last seven to 10 days. And by the way, here's a, here's a couple outliers where it went for a month or whatever whatever the data may be. So you're level setting expectations before you get you know, it. And, and in a way, it's, um, it, it's the same principle of the horizon scanning that you were talking about, but you're using historical data to do it. And I think it's brilliant, and I'm really impressed with you and and your approach to to how you go about doing things. And I think that we've learned so much today, first of all, about relationships, but also about there's some nuanced things in here that if people are listening, uh, there's some very good tips that that we can pick up from you. All right, the hard question. This is the one that um, sometimes people struggle with. It's time for you to walk into the office or maybe walk up on stage, walk to a podium, and you get to pick your own walk-up music. Brady, what song are you picking and why? Well, I'm so sorry, Mark. I know we've been talking about relationship building and earning trust, but my my answer doesn't really have much to do with that directly. I don't know how you can be a proper emergency manager or crisis manager and not be a big fan of When the Levee Breaks by Led Zeppelin. There you go. Man, I think you nailed it. I think you nailed it. One of my uh, first crises that I was ever involved with involved in was uh, I was an undergrad at Louisiana State University when Katrina hit New Orleans. Wow. And so I was volunteering uh, in, in the response to that storm. So that's how my career started out. I didn't know it was starting at that point, but I always think about that storm when I hear when the levee breaks. You said something interesting there. We probably don't have time to dig into this, but I'm going to ask it anyhow, and, and maybe I can fit it in. You said you didn't know your career was starting at that point, but you ended up here. What, did it just grab you and not let you go? You know, when I, I look back at, at you know, from the moment that I, I helped volunteer with the response to Katrina up to where I'm at now, there's little flashpoints along that timeline where I saw myself kind of 
dip a toe into emergency management, crisis management, and didn't realize I was doing it, whether it was running a command center in Afghanistan with the Marine Corps or helping out kind of impromptu with a security team for uh, an employee that was involved in a terrorist event overseas in, in, in Europe. Um, I didn't know, I didn't know that that's what I was getting into, but I do remember the emotional feeling and it was excitement. I loved it. And it was, right. it was really fun. And when I came to Amazon, I was, I was doing audit and assurance type work, which is not the most exhilarating uh, profession right there. It, it worked with my statistical background, but our director came to me and said, Hey, would you like, would you be interested in, in trying out this crisis manager role for the Americas? And I said, sure, you don't turn down an opportunity. And I tell you, when I got into it, it's, it was it was amazing. I never, I didn't, I didn't know such a field existed. In fact, that's the joke that I that I make fairly often is that if I know that this was a profession, if I could go this career path, uh, when I was in college, I would have gotten a degree that actually was a little more important, would have mattered a little bit more. Um, but here I am. Well, I don't know. I mean, I think uh, your military background really trained you very, very well for this uh, from the standpoint of being organized and being tactical and not being overwhelmed in crisis situations. I think it's, I think it's perfect, uh, a perfect background. Now, uh, I also feel that same level of excitement and fun, and I think there's possibly something wrong with both of us, uh, <laughs> and that's okay. Uh, again, everybody's different, and everybody has a different approach to it. So, Brady, thank you for this. How can people connect with you if they want to, if they want to learn more about you? Thanks, Mark. It's been a pleasure. Uh, LinkedIn is the best best option there. You can look me up on Brady Hendricks. All right, appreciate you, man. Thank you. Thanks, Mark. I want to thank Brady Hendricks for being my guest today and talking to us about the importance of relationship building, particularly in the crisis management field. Just a reminder, The Resilient Journey is a Resilience Think Tank production. And speaking of The Resilience Think Tank, we're open for membership now, so we invite you to come join us and help shape the future of resilience. We have another great guest lined up next week, so join us, won't you, as we continue our resilient journey.